Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, Pat, what are we listening to? We are listening to a bel canto gem. This is the work of Vincenzo Bellini, and it's his take on the Romeo and Juliet story. I Capuletti e i Montecchi. That's it. Or at least my version of Italian. If there are any listeners in Italy who would like to comment on our pronunciation, please send us a message on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it's interesting because this, the Capulets and the Montagues, this is a, I, I mean, I always associated Romeo and Juliet with Shakespeare. And not too long ago, we did the uh, French version of the opera by Gounod, Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. But it is originally, we all know it's set in Verona. It seems to almost always be set in Verona, but it's an old, old story. I, I referred to that when we did the Gounod recording, but Gounod based his on French translations of the Shakespeare play. This is oh. not based on Shakespeare. This is based on older sources. And it, it has some similarities. It has some core similarities to what we know from Shakespeare. But it goes back to the original, and it doesn't include the added characters that Shakespeare had, like Mercutio, like Paris. Ah. Those were Shakespearean inventions. We have uh-huh. the core of the story, the Capulets and the Montagues. And yes, Romeo is a Montague and Juliet is a Capulet. But some of the details will will feel funny if all you know is the Shakespeare version. Right. And so two houses both alike in dignity, that was the beginning of the Shakespeare. And is that is that how this other version begins? Well and let me ask this also, what what is the what is the source material? Do you know? I do. I mean I know some of it. It's it's a little bit lost in the mists of time. This particular libretto is written by that well known librettist, Felice Romani who was very happy to be partnered up with Bellini. They made a really good team, those two. But Romani wrote over 100 librettos himself mm. for not just Bellini. He also wrote for Donizetti and one for Verdi as well. Ah, But he was inspired, well, he was inspired by a lot of things. And it's hard to know whether the inspiration comes through channels or it is direct, but there was a prior opera libretto by Giuseppe Foppa for a 1796 opera, Juliette et Romeo. There was also a play that was popular in 1818, Giulietta et Romeo by Luigi Scevola. And all of these took inspiration from pieces that were written in the Renaissance, notably novellas by Luigi de Porto and Matteo Bandello. Can I ask a question? Of course, always. When was the Renaissance? What period of time? Oh, so, well, the Renaissance, is, it starts different times in different places, though the, the earliest place that it starts, of course, is Italy, because that's where you have this big revival of trade in the post-Crusades era, where they're trading with the East. And, and if you just look at a map, you can see Italy is well-placed to be involved in mm-hmm. Very trade. central. Right. It's, it's a little closer to the East, but it also, it has a great many port cities. Yeah, and water, the Italians, lots of water. Exactly. They benefit a lot financially from their trading endeavors. And then financial resources allows for support of and people to give time to the arts. Right. So 14th century is pretty much when it's starting in Italy. Mm -hmm. And little by little, it'll move into Western Europe. 
And so if this is being written, maybe the earliest story is coming out in the 14th century. Mm -hmm. The setting is 13th century Verona. Okay. Interesting. And And that pretty much stays steady in all these variations of the story. There's a core set of elements that the idea that there are these two warring families mm-hmm. in Verona, which is very true to history. I mean, this, this, in fact, this particular opera will spend a lot more time using the terms Ghibellines and Guelphs. <laughs> it, that makes me think of Smurfs, but I'm assuming that Smurfs don't feature prominently in Romeo and Juliet in the 13th century. Not, no, not prominently. <laughs> So the the Ghibelline, those are the those are the factions that these houses are aligned with. So, what are, in short, so what are the Ghibellines and the Guelphs? The Guelphs are the supporters of papal authority, and they are the Capulets, and the Ghibellines are the supporters of the authority of the Holy Roman Empire, and their efforts in Italy. I mean, there's way much more history background that you could set and those are the Montagues by the way there's a lot of historical background here but I mention that just because in the libretto very often instead of saying Capulets and Montagues when they're referring to themselves or the rival family they will simply call them Ghibellines or Guelphs oh interesting in the libretto although the version that I watched of this that had the English surtitles on it Mm-hmm. They just got rid of all that. Even though the singers are singing those names in Italian, in English, they, they the translator said, that's going to just be too confusing for right. the audience. We're, gonna, we're just going to call them the Capulets and the Montagues. Interesting. Okay, so in the, in the source material, the houses were separated based on religious ideology. Well, and that's all intimately tied up with political power as well. Okay. So there's, there's a religious element, but really, 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 it's political. Okay, so the Capulets were Guelphs and they were papal. Yeah, they, they, were, they were aligned with papal authority, and the Montagues were aligned with the authority of the Holy Roman Emperor. Okay, copy that. Okay, so that was a, that was a rabbit hole. It was, but, but it's, it, it's emblematic of part of what's going on in this opera in that it's not just these two families who are angry at each other for some untold ancient slight that they are yeah. they don't like you killed each other. my father prepared that, to die that there's real historical underpinning to the contest between these two families mm-hmm. so that is a fundamental piece of it and then of course the other fundamental piece of it is are these these lovers who who never succeed in getting together in this world right but some of the details there will be different as well but let's talk about the opening of this opera. Do you remember the opening of the Gounod opera? Which, by the way, is, is later in time. It's composed after this, in the middle of the 19th century. It, uh, it opens on a party at the Capulet residence. Exactly. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it is a party where Juliette's father intends to introduce her to the young man that he'd like her to marry. Paris, right. Again, Shakespeare invention, this this Count Paris. So this opera is different. It, again, a little more political in terms of the back setting. It opens with the whole bunch of Capulets, the male chorus here. It opens with them singing about how much they hate 
the Montagues, or how much the Guelphs hate the Ghibellines. So it opens in a little more martial tone. Ah, okay. Let's hear them. listening to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are listening to Bellini's I Capuletti e Montecchi, and we've just begun our opera hearing from the gentlemen of the chorus of... The Capulets, of course. The Capulets declaring their intense dislike for the Ghibellines, also known as the Montagues. That's right. And the person representing the, the sentiment of the Capulets is going to be Tybalt. Oh, okay. And you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to use mostly the English versions of these names because... Yeah. In Italiano, is Teobaldo. Right. So Tybalt, <laughs> Teobaldo, <laughs> is, is going to take center stage and he's going to tell us that we need to be concerned we, conspiratorially, with all the Capulets here, mm-hmm. we need to be concerned because the Capulets are being threatened. There are forces gathering around them with the Ghibellines, the Montagues, who are trying to crush the Capulets. And he says we, we must be particularly careful because the leader of the Ghibellines is sending a powerful army, and guess who that leader is? Romeo. That's right. So in this version, it's not as though Romeo or Romeo is the child of a powerful father as he is, Mm -hmm. you know, and just sort of out with his friends and falling in love. And no, no, he is the the feared leader of the opposing army. Mm. 
very different scenario. It, it has a very different feel. And in fact, of the parents who are represented in the Shakespeare play, only the, the father Capulet, only Juliet's father, is a character in this opera. Interesting. Well, after we hear that Romeo is bringing his army, Capulet, Juliet's father, gives us a key piece of information as to why he not only hates all the Montagues, but he hates Romeo in particular because Romeo killed his son. Ah, okay. Well, so yeah, it's a very different plot. Because this is an ongoing conflict between the two sides. Yeah. And Romeo is singled out for particular dislike because he killed his son. Yeah. And besides, can you believe there's an ambassador about to come from the Montagues to speak with us? They're going to try to negotiate for peace. At the same time that they're sending an army? Well, you know, you're going to back it up with a little bit of force, right? Right. He's like, like, peace. And Capulet says, there will never be peace. Now there is an interesting character. Lawrence. Laurent. Oh, I'm going into the French opera. Lorenzo. <laughs> Lorenzo in the Italian. You remember who Lord Laurent, Lorenzo, Lawrence was in the Gounod version? No. Well, he's the priest. Oh. In the Shakespeare version. Father in the Lawrence, version, yeah. Father Lawrence. He's right. the priest. He's okay. the one who marries Romeo and Juliet. He's the one who gives Juliet ultimately the potion. Sorry yes. for that spoiler. Yeah. But so... There is a character, Laurence, in this, or, sorry, there's Lorenzo. <laughs> there is a character, Lorenzo, in this opera, but he's a doctor ah. and an advisor, a high-placed advisor to Capulet, the father, the, the leader of this clan. And ah. he speaks out in spite of everything that's going around him, the entire rest of the Capulets, the father. They're all out for blood. Yeah, he speaks out in favor of peace. Mm-hmm. He says, well, we should at least hear what the ambassador has to say. Perhaps it'll be a useful and honest proposal. It's better to end such a long and bitter feud. Too much blood has been spilled. Mm-hmm. And Capulet's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. No, he's like, I, I need revenge because my son was killed. And we've always hated them. And they've done a world of harm to us. Right. And he says, and besides, I don't think they're honest brokers because there are rumors around that Romeo has snuck in disguise into Verona and he's causing mischief. And Tybalt, (laughs) the young man, talks about how I have sworn, sir, I will avenge your son's death because I not only love you, I love your daughter, your dead Ah, son's sister. I see. I will avenge you. I will avenge him. So he's not Juliet's cousin in this version. No, he is Juliet's intended in this version. Aha. Okay, well, this... I mean, who knows? Maybe he is her cousin. That's not mentioned. But yeah. he is her intended. <laughs> yeah. As we've learned in other operas, there is some, you know, historically, people do tend to marry their cousins. Oh, yeah. And that's not just an opera thing. That's a... That's a, a real... A highborn thing. thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so Tybalt, Teobaldo, is... Juliet's intended, according to her father, Signor Capulet. Yes, and the two of them have a, have a close bond because he is essentially becoming the son, the replacement yes, son. Yes, slain son, right. Right, and Capulet affirms this by saying, let the wedding altar be lighted for you beginning today. 
And Lorenzo, the doctor, interjects, uh, today might not be a good day for Juliet to get married. She has a, a high fever. She's sad, afflicted, languishing. At this point, she could only be taken to the altar by force. And Tybalt and Capulet have, like, they just don't, they're not, there's no sympathy shown for Juliet or any suffering she may be enduring. Hmm. And they just say, well, she's going to be married. Marriage will be good for her. She'll, she'll be better off. Why are they in such a hurry to do this now? I think they just, it's time for her. And, and Tybalt is taking the place of this son, essentially. And that gets cemented in if he marries. He becomes the son-in-law, the son of Capulet that way. Uh, okay, I see. It just, it needs to happen now. <laughs> the story demands it. Okay. <laughs> Plot. So Tybalt wants to let us know that his love for Juliet is true. And he sings a beautiful song about that. L'amo tanto e me si cara. I love her so much. She is so dear to me.
So that was Teobaldo's love song, which it started out sounding very delicate and loving, but by the end there, Pat, it sounded a little bit frothy, like he was getting them all whipped up. Well, exactly. He's not alone on stage. We still have that whole chorus of the Capulets in their martial state of mind. So after he makes it clear to all of us how much he loves Juliet and how dear she is and and there is just a little moment where he says well I I don't want to do anything to upset her the chorus jumps in Capulet jumps in and says no no have no fear it'll all be good when she she marries you because you will be her brother's avenger and this chorus the the partisans of Capulet say let the hand of Juliet be the reward for your valor And that's exactly what Juliet is in the eyes of all of these men. Mm -hmm. She's a prize to be won. Mm. She's a reward. Lovely. Except the sympathetic doctor, Lorenzo, Mm -hmm. in the midst of all of this that we just heard, parenthetically will say, Ah, Juliet, now shall it be revealed your unfortunate secret. There is no human power that can placate your father. So, remember Capulet said that it had been rumored that Romeo had been sneaking into Verona? Yes. He was up to some shenanigans. Right. And that includes... So we don't... This opera, we don't see the falling in love moment that can be so sweet as part of this story and so touching. They're already in love. All we know is that he has been sneaking in, and this is our first hint that they are already in love. If you don't, if you don't figure it out from this hint dropped right now, you will figure it out when you meet the characters as we move along. But it's already occurred. The falling in love happened pre the beginning of this opera. Right. Okay. Interesting. So Capulet will turn to. Lorenzo and says, go, Lorenzo, prepare Juliet for the ceremony. This after Lorenzo has said, she's really not doing too well, sir. He says, I want her to be married before sunset. Tomorrow she will be more happy to gladden her father's house. Do as I bid. Alrighty then. So Lorenzo goes off to tell Juliet that she's going to marry Tybalt. Right, and Capulet, uh, Lorenzo leaves and we're left with Capulet and Tybalt. By the way, Capulet is played by a, a bass, as you would expect for this role, right? A, right? a big, imposing, commanding man saying, she will hold dear what I hold dear. She is respectful of her father and she will follow my wishes. Mm-hmm. You will be a strong soldier and she will marry you. I mean, it's classic. Cut and dry. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, Pat, I don't like him. Which one? Or both of them? (laughs) I particularly don't like her father in this version, which I didn't feel in the other version as much. Well, he, he embodies this concept that there can be no reconciliation. He's a total patriarch. 
Yeah. And he is not going to change his ways. Right. So onto the scene with the two men enters another man. Another man who will sing, happy in the pleasant task for which the leader of the Ghibellines has chosen me. I present myself to you, noble Guelphs. If you're looking at a modern translation, just substitute in the Montague leader has chosen me to represent them, and I present myself to you, noble Capulets. This is the ambassador. But guess what? Hmm. Remember Romeo and his disguises? Oh. No one here has seen Romeo since he was a child. So this is, in fact, Romeo. Aha. Taking the role, pretending to be the ambassador. The ambassador. But it's interesting that it feels so real when Romeo says, I speak true words of friendship and peace. So maybe the Montagues aren't launching an army after all. Maybe they really do want peace. But he brought his army with him, right? Well, they're, they're not far. I mean, yeah. the amba- amba- as, you, as ambassadors do, he comes alone. Right, but the, but, yeah, right. But they, they've traveled to the house of Capulet ostensibly. But Tybalt and Capulet, as you might expect, they're not terribly open to these words of peace, and they certainly don't trust these protestations of friendship. Right. So Capulet will say a a thousand times peace was concluded and a thousand times it was broken. They just don't trust it. But the ambassador, Romeo, says, It is in your hands to keep it sacred and inviolate. Let the Montagues have equal place in Verona and let Julieta be espoused to Romeo. He says, I know a great way to secure the peace. Let's do what factions throughout history have done. Oh, wow. Let's marry. Let us let us blend the two houses by having important people. This is what the ambassador is saying. By having important people from both sides of the faction marry. It's a, it's a classic way of forming yeah. a political alliance through marriage. Wow. Okay, so very, very different story. Yeah. He so just puts his cards on the table right away. Yes, but... Although it's Romeo making this proposal, it's Romeo making the proposal... As the ambassador. As the ambassador. Because we know they've already fallen in love. Right. But as an ambassador, he's merely proposing it as a political alliance to secure peace. Mm -hmm. A step done over the centuries among rival clans. Right. And Capulet is just not having any of this. There rises between us a fatal barrier of blood. And I never, never, I swear, shall it be lifted. And Romeo gets angry. Cruel men. Listen to me. If Romeo killed your son in battle, it was because there was a war. You must blame fate. He wept over it. And still he weeps over it. Reminds you a little bit of the scene in the Shakespeare and Gounod version where Romeo really doesn't want to fight Tybalt. Yeah, because you're right. dear to me. I love you. He says, "I'm," so, like he doesn't say, "I'm." Romeo is so sorry that your son was killed. He weeps over it still, but fate is to blame. And in my master Romeo, you will find another son. So in oh. other words, make Romeo that son you have lost, and end the war, end all the strife. Capulet, needless to say, does not bite. He's not into it. He says, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." This, to my ear, was one of the most beautiful pieces in the opera. 
And so I'd like to hear Romeo trying to convince, and this is all of the passion that's in Romeo coming out. And he's, he's playing this role, being the ambassador. He's desperately in love with Juliet. And he also sees a way to bring peace to the two houses. Because even though he is the military leader, he's ready to stop. He's ready to form an alliance, mm-hmm. have a reason for the two families to reconcile and end this never-ending feud. So this, this song that we're about to listen to will not only have that piece, but it'll also have Romeo's reaction to their rejection of this offer of peace and a solution to the never-ending feud between them. Okay. And before we listen to this piece, I need to let you all know that Romeo is sung by a mezzo-soprano. Oh, right. Okay. Trouser roll. It's a trouser roll. So this this opera premieres in 1830. Mm -hmm. And it's at a period of time, kind of in transition. Bellini made the choice to do, as as so often had been done, where a young man is played by a mezzo-soprano. More commonly, a leading male role. The the sympathetic, heroic male is going to be played by a tenor. In this day, and certainly moving forward, people who admired Bellini's work looked back at this opera and called it old-fashioned because they had the young man who was the lead being played by a mezzo-soprano. But I always feel like I want to let people know before we hear because they're thinking, well, who's that woman singing? Why don't I hear Romeo? <laughs> this is Romeo. Sung by a mezzo soprano. Sung by a mezzo soprano. So as you listen to this, the female voice that you hear, the mezzo voice that you hear in the beginning, that's Romeo. Okay. So let's listen to Ascolto, se Romeo. <laughs> Ascolto, se Romeo, tu ci sei un figlio in, in battaglia a lui di morte. That's the bit that I just said right in the beginning. Listen to me. If Romeo killed your son, he was killed in a battle.
Capoletti e I Montecchi, and it started out where he sounded very lovey-dovey, but then by the end there, it got kind of not so lovey-dovey. What was happening? Well, the lovey-dovey is him trying, Romeo, trying to convince Juliet's father to turn towards peace rather than continuing the feud between their two factions. He's proposed, in the guise of the ambassador, that they form a political alliance and let Romeo Mary Capulet's daughter, Juliet. And he is essentially apologizing for having killed the son, saying it was in battle, there was conflict going on between us, but you still have an opportunity for peace. And Capulet and Tybalt and all the men of the, of the, of the Capulet clan don't want to hear about this. They want vengeance. 
they want to continue the fighting. And Romeo finally says, well, so be it, you obstinate men. Romeo will brandish the sword of vengeance like a deadly thunderbolt. Oh, oh, okay. But an angry heaven will curse you for so much spilled blood in vain. And you will fall again, the blood that has cost this fatherland so dear. So he's saying, okay, if you don't want peace, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work out very well right. for you all. You're going you down. Are. Yeah, exactly. He is, he is the chief warrior among the Montague clan. Hmm. So a little bit of that is coming through and, and he's not seeming so ambassadorial towards the end of this. Right, he's throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, he's saying Romeo's going to do this and he does leave. He is given the courtesy that is extended to ambassadors where he is allowed to leave. And that is going to be the end of the first scene of Act One. So we've met Romeo. And I think since we've just ended a scene, I, I just want to interject a little bit about the formation and the premiere of this opera. Yeah, because we haven't reviewed any of that. So you said that it premiered in 1830. 1830 in Venice. This was one of those classic bel canto situations where it was, it was pulled together in a very short period of time, six weeks. Bellini was fortunate enough to secure the services of Felice Romani, the great librettist, mm -hmm. yep. and, and longtime partner of his. But it was kind of a funny situation. It was for the, the carnival season in Venice, which was a time when a lot of great operas made their premieres. Another composer had been contracted to compose an opera that was Giovanni Pacini, and he had a lot of stuff going on, and the empresario at the Opera House in Venice suspected Pacini would not be able to meet his contract. And there was a drop-dead date, and Pacini hadn't produced anything, so he turns to Bellini, who was already in Venice, to prepare the production of another one of his operas that had already been written, and he says, okay, Bellini, over to you. You can have this contract. This opera can be yours, but it needs to go on in six weeks. Right. Interesting. Well, it's interesting. And, and what, what happened, again, not uncommon for the Belcanto period, is that he reused a lot of his own music. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, this, this happened a lot. There was an opera, Zera, that had premiered in Parma in 1829 that Bellini had written. And it had not been received well at all. And Bellini thought, well, I know it's good music. I know it's really good music. And he used the bulk of the music that goes into I Capulete, originally premiered in Parma in this, the year before in this Zaira opera. Oh, wow. And he grabbed, he grabbed another uh, song. In fact, the one that we're going to hear next was from a different opera, but but a lot of it. And it wasn't just Bellini who reused his work. Romani reused his own work as well. <laughs> he had written a libretto for the composer Niccolo Vacai for an opera, Giulietta e Romeo, that had premiered in 1825, so five years earlier. And he just reworked it to Bellini's specifications based on that Italian source material that we had talked about before. Right. So both libretto and composer were reworking and reusing a lot of their prior work. But in a time when this stuff didn't travel as much, didn't get recorded, and th they were able to do it. And 
interestingly, this opera, when it premiered, in spite of this, in a way, patchwork nature of it, it was a, an astounding success. It didn't have that period of not being successful or falling into the doldrums, really until simply the bel canto style was out of favor or the criticisms of people like Liszt that it was old-fashioned, particularly because it had a woman in the lead male role. Oh, it right, seemed yeah. old-fashioned. And so this was, it was just a great triumph of people who were good at their work, knowing that their own work was good. And they put it out there again, and it was very successful. In fact, Bellini makes a comment at one point later, reflecting. He's like, well, I Capuletti proves that they were wrong in Parma, because they didn't like the music when it was with the earlier opera. Interesting. <laughs> I know, it is interesting. I mean, we don't see the opera Zaira being performed a whole lot. No, I've never heard of it. No, it, it's just not performed as much. This is one of the operas that is performed more often, composed by Bellini, but I would say it would be number four after Sonambula, Norma, and Puritani. Right, Puritani. Okay, Keely, that all has been covered. Are you ready to start the second scene of the first act? Yes. We're in Juliet's apartments. In, in memory, I've only had the opportunity to see this one time, and it was a production that I watched on a DVD that I purchased from the San Francisco Opera Company. And I don't know if this is always the case, though I can see it being so. The singer who portrays Juliet portrays her right from the start as someone who is suffering greatly and maybe is... Unhinged? Yeah, a little bit. Just just the beginnings of that. Mm. Her grief is so great. She is demonstrating what Lorenzo said about her already, that she is suffering. She's not well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a slow start with her where she says, well, I'm in joyful garments because she's dressed for a wedding. But she says, I'm adorned like a victim for the altar. Oh. Oh, nuptial torches so abhorrent, so deadly be for me funeral torches. So this is our wow. introduction to Juliet. She is equating this marriage to Tybalt as her death. Yeah, like a lamb to the slaughter. Exactly. And that piece is going to give way to a great soprano aria. The one where, you know how when you put these operas, or maybe you don't, but <laughs> when you put these operas into YouTube to see what you can watch on YouTube and listen to? Oh, right. This is one that pops up. This is the, this is the piece that pops up, I think, more than anything else. She says, oh, how many times have I, weeping, asked heaven for you? The you, of course, being her beloved Romeo. Thank you. 
to Opera for Everyone, and this is Bellini's I Capuletti e Montecchi. We've just met Giulietta, who is feeling as though she is a lamb to the slaughter on the day of her wedding, and it sounds a bit somber, for sure. Parts of it sounded perhaps even a, a bit funereal, if that's a word. Well... As we spoke about before, she feels as though she's dying, that it's going mm-hmm. to be the death of her right. to remain trapped in this situation where she has to marry Tybalt, whom she doesn't love. Mm-hmm. And she's surrounded by a family and a society that is just focused on war and revenge and fighting. Yeah. And it's, it's killing her. However, little bright spot here. <laughs> After she sings this lament, the doctor will enter, Lorenzo will enter, and he will let us know right away. Juliet can prepare herself for unexpected joy. And he says to her, are you calm, my dear? And she says, well, I'm declining, 
Little by little, I'm pining away, and he tries to gently encourage her. Are you, are you ready for some sudden joy? Romeo is in Verona. Not only is he in Verona, I have brought him through the secret passageway, so a little bit more is explained, through the secret passageway so that he may be with you. <gasps> Enter Romeo. And Juliet is not instantly girlish and happy. She is in such a sorry state that it's, it's a slow warming to her beloved. Deprived of hope, weak, languishing, as you see, I am near to my tomb. That's how she speaks to Romeo in the beginning. And he says, well, I know how to solve this problem. We're not going to resolve it here. He doesn't say this, but but you know he's thinking, I tried. Yeah, I tried to negotiate. Exactly. And that didn't work. And he says, so our only solution is that you must flee with me. And she she's confused she's surprised their first duet is going to begin with romeo saying yes we must flee nothing else remains to us in this extreme situation we will find a better land than this a better sky come away with me my dear is essentially what he's saying and interestingly we'll listen to this whole piece but interestingly she's not on board oh she's concerned Huh. Because she says, Romeo, for me, the whole world is contained within these gates. I'm bound here. I'm held here by a stronger power than love. Huh. What stronger power than love, you ask? Well, that's what Romeo asks. Familial allegiance? Duty to, to the law, honor, and duty to my father. Wow. So this is like Romeo and Juliet is always the greatest love story ever told. But then in this version, the Bellini version or this whatever source The material original source material, yeah. Is not that. It's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. Shakespeare molded it into the story he wanted it to be. A lot of the a lot of the elements are similar, but a lot of the motivations and the powers at play are a little bit different. Yeah. Interesting. It is, it is. Let's listen to this first duet with Romeo and Juliet when they finally get together and we meet them.
So we've just heard from Romeo and Juliet singing their first duet together. And Romeo said, come away with me. That's the only way this is going to work. And she protests. Because she feels honor bound. She feels legally bound to stay with her family, to obey her father. And Romeo is going to respond somewhat angrily. You are cruel. How can you speak to me of honor when they steal you from me? This law that you say opposes me, and it's not true. The only thing I live for is you. And so it, it really is a profound love story, but it's just not the one that we're used to. He says, the only thing that matters is my love for you. You have to run away with me. And she says, I'm only alive because I love you. I'm being crushed by the expectations that fence me in here, and yet I can't break these fences. I can't break these regulations. So no wonder the poor girl is losing yeah, her mind. She's... She has all these expectations and restrictions placed on her. And she says, and you kind of can believe it, the only reason she's alive is because she loves Romeo, but she doesn't have the strength within her to oppose her father and her whole society. So the two of them are having another duet. They're angry at each other, but they continue to profess their tremendous love for each other. While this is going on, we hear festive music in the background, and Romeo says, do you hear that? That is the altar of doom. Oh my god. In other words, your wedding altar being prepared. Not to get too dramatic, it's the altar of doom. Right. Well, she's said as much right. already. And so Romeo is just echoing that same thought. And they continue their arguing, but then ultimately Romeo, because he is a smooth talker, he says, come, repose in me. You are my beloved, you are my bride. And we can't waste this precious moment when we're together. He says, my fate is in your hands, my life, my death, but you don't love me as much as I love you. And she's, but I love you more, but I love you more. It's, it's one of the. <laughs> oh, it's one of those duets where I love you. I love you too. No, I love you more. Well, he's also saying, have pity for me. Understand how much I love you. And he's trying to convince her that he, that she will be safe with him that if she gives herself to him, in other words, transfers that fierce loyalty from father to husband, right. with Romeo being the husband, she'll be okay. Mm. So it's left a little bit ambiguous here because with all this festive music means that pretty soon someone's gonna be coming to fetch Juliet for right. the wedding. And Romeo departs, and soon we have a chorus of the Capulets again, where they are celebrating the joy of Juliet's marriage, a great choral piece.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron. And me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, we are listening to I Capuletti e i Montecchi, an opera by Vincenzo Bellini. And as we do at the beginning of the second half of the program, we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the efforts of the performers who appear on the recording we are listening to today. This recording was made in 1997 in Munich with Roberto Abado conducting. Romeo is sung by Veselina Casarova. Giulietta is sung by Eva May. Tebaldo is sung by Ramon Vargas. Capelio is sung by Umberto Chiumo. And Lorenzo is sung by Simone Alberghini. So thank you very much to the performers which brings us to the opera helmet quiz keely are you strapped on there i think so i've got my chin strap on so that i don't get injured because opera is a full contact sport (laughs) (laughs) not really i think i've got a pretty easy job today pat because we're only up to uh scene two of act one and i am more or less familiar with the plot but but I will give it my best. Don't mix up your various Romeo don't, and Juliet yes, stories. There are several <laughs> versions. Okay, so this is an opera by Vincenzo Bellini with a libretto by Felice Romani. It premiered in 1830 in Venice at the Opera House during carnival season. And Bellini was not the first choice to compose this opera, this celebratory opera. But the, um, the opera master at the house wisely knew that the first choice needed to be on a short leash and needed a check-in point <laughs> because he may not, in fact, be able to con- compose the opera in time for Carnival. So at the point where he determined the original composer wouldn't complete the opera, he turned immediately to Bellini, who was able to produce this opera in six weeks and interestingly reused a significant portion of music that had been in the opera Zera, which premiered in Palermo, no, Parma, to not very good reviews. However, when Capuletti e Montecchi premiered in Venice in 1830, it was to great acclaim. So that's the story of the composer and the premiere. And, the, and now you need to bring us up to speed on the plot. Yes. Okay. So the particular version that we're listening to today is different from most people's understanding of Romeo and Juliet. Where they are alike is that they are all set in Verona in the 13th century. 
and they feature Romeo, Montague, and Juliet Capulet, who are warring families. However, in this version, the divide is more based on political and, and religious ideology. And in this version, also, Romeo is the leader of the army or warring party of the Montagues. And we begin the action with Juliet's father, Signor Capulet, and Tibaldo, who in most versions is her cousin, but in this version is the love interest and the man who has been selected by Juliet's father as his son replacement and man who will avenge the death of his son who was killed by the Montagues. Also in this version appears Lorenzo, who in other versions is Father Lawrence, who is a priest. In this version, he is an advisor and a doctor. So as we begin, Signor Capulet, Juliet's father, and Tybalt, Teobaldo, are talking about how they are going to avenge the death of Capulet's son and go to war with the Montagues. And before they do that, They've decided, Mr. Capulet has decided that Juliet, his daughter, will be married to Tybalt and that that would be a great way to cement their relationship and that as Tybalt goes to fight to avenge the death of the younger Capulet, that that would be a great way to do that. And the doctor, Lorenzo, Lawrence, Father Father Lawrence and other versions, is saying, I don't think that's such a good idea. Juliet's not feeling really great right now. Maybe you don't want to do that. And they're like, whatever, she'll be fine. Let's just get this show on the road. So meanwhile, (laughs) the Montagues are arriving in Verona and they have sent, or at the Capulet residence, So, and they've sent along an ambassador, ambassador in quotes, to represent them and to try to negotiate peace between the Montagues and the Capulets. Unbeknownst to the Capulets, the ambassador, in air quotes, is actually Romeo himself, and he is attempting to negotiate this peace because we learn that he and Juliet are already in love. And it's especially important for him to be able to negotiate that piece so that he can marry Juliet because he loves her. So he goes and sings this impassioned plea about how they need to put down their arms and come together and find peace. And the Capulets say, mm, nope. And so then he gets all riled up and says, okay, well, you're going down. This war is on. And he skedaddles. But before he leaves, Father Lorenzo, or the doctor in this part, Dr. Lorenzo, sneaks him into Juliet's chambers by some secret passageway. And the Dr. Lorenzo goes and says, hey, Juliet, uh, I see you're getting ready to get married, which I know you're not real happy about, but guess what? I brought Romeo to see you. Isn't that great? And she's like, "Uh, yeah, it's great, except for my heart is breaking and I feel like I'm going to die. So... Romeo comes in and then they say, we need to be together. Romeo says, Juliet, come away with me. That's the only way we're going to be able to be together and everything will be great. And she's not super excited about that, which he's angry about because he says, I love you. You're my everything. And she says, no, I love you. You're my everything too. But this is the only world I've ever known. I am my father's daughter. I need to be respectful of him. This is the law. I can't just leave and come with you. So that angers Romeo. And then 
the end of scene two in act one is all of the people of the Capulet household being excited because there's going to be a wedding between Juliet and Teobaldo. Yes, and I apologize. That's actually the beginning of scene three, like when the chorus is celebrating. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. But so, yeah, so that that's where we that's end. That's wonderful. Just one point of clarification, because it is true from our point of view, the familiar Romeo and Juliet story that you kept referring to, well, you know, that we know Tybalt as the cousin and we know Lawrence as the, as the priest, priest rather than the doctor. That's all courtesy of Shakespeare. Yes. And many other works that depict these young lovers base themselves off of Shakespeare. But remember, Bellini's an Italian and this is an Italian story. It's not Shakespeare's story. <laughs> so we can say Romani and his precursors go back to the original Italian sources when they when they put together this story, whether it's for a play or for a libretto. And there were various Romeo and Juliet librettos out there before Romani even writes his first version, which is what he uses to write this next version, which is the opera that we're talking about today. Yeah. So it's an Italian story, and the Italians are going to the Italian sources, not the English. Gounod was French, and he was happy to go to Shakespeare, because he, well, I mean, his his is pretty much the Shakespeare story directly, yeah. with many of the same lines exactly from Shakespeare. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, of course, I'm not a, a historian, but I it never even occurred to me that there were more than one version of this story. You know, I only knew it as Shakespeare. Right, of course. It's a well-worn story. It's a, I mean, it. Shakespeare was very good at choosing his stories. Most of his stories exist already, but he crafts them into these fabulous plays that express human truth. And he molded it the way he wanted to, to mold it. And it resonates for us. It works. And there's a lot of other works of art that find their inspiration from the Shakespeare version of the story. Mm-hmm. But Bellini, Romani, and other Italians before them, even though the Shakespeare story existed, they were going to the original versions and subsequent versions that were written in Italy from the original medieval telling of this story. So, so. we have a wedding in the offing. We have a celebration, but the celebration is interrupted. Right. So when we ended the first half, we heard the chorus celebrating the upcoming nuptials between Juliet and Tybalt. Once the chorus leaves, we see Lawrence, Lorenzo, and Romeo talking. And Lawrence says, my friend, you need to leave. You're not going to fool anyone much longer. Mm -hmm. it's, it's too clear that you are not who you're pretending to be. Because at this point, Romeo has dressed himself up to try to pretend to be the ambassador. He's changed his, his attire to pretend to be one of the Capulets. Oh! So he can be in and amongst them and not even raise the concerns that an ambassador would raise. Oh. And Lawrence says, you, you need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop. He says, well, Lawrence, I'm not the only one pretending to be a Guelph or, or a Capulet. All of my faction, all of the Montagues, all of the Ghibellines, are disguising themselves in Guelph attire. Oh. So they're trying to infiltrate the city. And in fact, they do infiltrate. And we have a clash impending between the Montagues and the Capulets. And it's terrifying. All of this is happening. And Romeo yells, Tybalt, tremble, I hasten now to avenge myself. 
and back and forth between the groups and the action moves off stage. In some stagings, you can have bodies all over the floor ultimately as a result of this. In some, it's just hinted at. And finally, we are left with just Juliet on the stage where she sadly sings of this conflict that has just taken place. And she doesn't even know if Romeo's still alive because of course he is a warrior as well. Yeah. And she's, she's grieving because she didn't have the courage to, to run away with him. But she, she, her love is true. Yeah, she desperately loves him and now she may have lost him. So just just to make sure that I understand this. So they're getting ready for the wedding. They're all in whatever public space that the wedding is going to be held. The Montagues are disguised as Capulets. And then Romeo comes out and says, Tybalt, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight you. And then pandemonium ensues, and then we don't know if someone's died or not. And very little of this is actually shown on stage. It's referred to in some of the singing, but but you realize it's happening. It's kind of happening beyond our view. And then we yeah. focus we focus back in on Juliet. Okay, because it's a big plot point. It feels like, but it just happens very quickly. Because we're focusing back on the lovers. On her. Okay, copy that. So she she's unsure, lamenting, still kind of falling to pieces. 
After Juliet sings of her lament and her concern for Romeo, Romeo appears on stage and she's a little bit out of it. And what do I see? Oh, it's your Romeo. And she is so relieved that he is unharmed. Again, it's, it's tentative, but we see the two young lovers coming together bit by bit. And Romeo once again pleads his case and says, please, please come away with me. Come with me. I ask it of you in the name of the faith that we swore. So there's this lovely romantic scene of the two of them together. But then we hear noises outside and we hear the Capulet saying death to the Montagues, death. And Juliet becomes afraid for him again. And Romeo with his sword says, I will open a way through these barbarians with my sword. Capulet comes in, Tybalt comes in, the other armed men come in and Lawrence also appears. Tybalt says, what do I see? This treacherous ambassador of our enemy with, with Juliet? He's, he's in disguise. And Romeo, you can see, is about to unmask himself, about to say who he is. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence in the corner is essentially saying, oh, the poor boy, he is lost. He is lost. Yes, I am your rival. Lawrence is like, foolhardy boy, and Tybalt says, my rival? What do you mean? You are Romeo? So all has become clear as far as that disguise goes, and we move into a song where Juliet and Romeo will sing together while Capulet and Tybalt sing together. She and he are saying, aid and support, grant him heaven, grant her heaven, make me alone the target of their fury so each one of the two lovers wants to take the anger onto themselves to Mm. save for the one they love yeah and capulet and tybalt are nothing but anger and violence thicken night your gloom in the sky it's a fantastic song where they're all expressing these feelings and lorenzo is just afraid for the whole situation he's afraid for these young people he wants peace you could see how this character could be a doctor or a priest, someone mm-hmm. who is... Yeah, a counselor of sorts. And, and, and valuing human life.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and we are listening to I Capuletti e, e Montecchi uh, by Bellini. And we've just heard from basically everyone in the cast, with the exception of the chorus. And even though everybody's really angry and up in arms, that was a really beautiful piece. Well, I think you've just described bel canto, which ah, this right. is. Beautiful music. <laughs> beautiful singing. and Beautiful singing. It's... They're all expressing their emotions, but there is always beauty in the music. Mm. So it makes it nice to listen to. Yes, it does. So just after this song that we've heard, off stage we hear a chorus of men. We're coming quickly, Romeo, Romeo! And it is the entire force of the Montagues descending. And Juliet's response is, oh joy! Because oh, she's, she's happy. No afraid that Romeo is going to be killed. Right. And Capulet, who is just a little bit slower than Tybalt with this piece of information, says, You're Romeo? You are Romeo? Why haven't I killed you yet, then, if you're Romeo? Oh, so he didn't know. Well, he's, he's, it's just, you know, it's all happening. It's pandemonium, Pat. It's pandemonium. And Tybalt says, You will not flee from me. You will not live in Romeo's <laughs> shout and smack. I mean, they're all they're all just talking about how great they are and how the other one's going to go get his. And now it's Juliet's turn to team up with Lorenzo, the doctor, to say, stop them from this deadly battle. Allow them to feel remorse. Allow them to feel pity. And it's it's a bit of a prayer. It's a bit of a, a beseeching of God that this happens. They They speak of heaven. And Romeo and Juliet have a moment together to say, if we have lost every hope of seeing each other again, we shall meet later on in heaven. And they spend some time affirming that they may not be together on this earth, but they will be together in heaven. And this scene, this act ends with this conflict between the Montagues and the Capulets and Juliet and Romeo reaffirming their love for each other. And act one. So what happens in act two? Well, it's essentially the aftermath of this conflict between the two sides. And Lorenzo comes in and sees Juliet and says, well, my dear, shortly you will be taken to the castle of Tybalt. But I have a plan. If you trust me, you will be saved from that terrible fate. But you need to have courage, my dear. And again, she's a little unbalanced, but Lawrence says, this is important. And he holds up a little little tiny bottle. Take this. It is a potion so powerful that it produces a slumber simulating death. Now that sounds familiar, right? Yes. She is confused, worried. She says, but what are you saying? I, I can't take this and go to my family tomb because that's where my brother is lying dead. Remember in the Shakespeare version, in the Gounod version, she worries a similar worry, but it's her cousin Tybalt who is there lying dead that she's afraid to see. Not just to be among dead people, but to be with someone she knew well and loved mm-hmm. right there in that tomb. And she's like, I, I can't go to that place because my brother is lying there dead and he would he would rise up to punish my crime of loving Romeo and of rejecting oh. my family honor and duty. Yeah, 
Makes sense. So, as in the Gounod opera, which I, I realize I keep referring to as if it was in the past. It was in our past, the opera for everyone past. It's, it's still in the future in terms of compositional time. She sings a beautiful piece about, I do not fear death. A terror surges through me, alarming me. And she's talking herself up to have the strength and the courage that she requires to drink this potion, mm-hmm. to know she'll be put into the crypt of her family. So Juliet has had all this drama about talking herself into having the courage to taking this potion that Lorenzo has given her, which gives her the appearance of death so that she'll be put in the crypt so she doesn't have to go to Tybalt's castle and marry him. And Lorenzo says, quickly, take it. Your father is coming. And she does. She takes it. So 
Then, of course, we have this scene where she's taken the poison, but she's not yet appearing to be dead. Right. But she's obviously suffering. So the father comes in and looks at her. He says, oh, you don't look well, but well, go get yourself ready for your wedding. You have to go be with your husband. And this point is very interesting from my point of view. This chorus, who has always been completely on the same page in the same mindset as Capulet, they are not at this moment. They look at Juliet and they feel pity and sympathy for Juliet. And they say, the poor thing, she's full of grief. She's groaning. She can barely stand. And they turn to Capulet, the whole chorus, and says, speak more kindly to her. Your strictness is killing her. So there's a, there's a shift that's happened with the populace not necessarily in full support of this very stern leader of the Capulets. And Juliet sings this beautiful piece that we're going to listen to where she says, Father, my father, I cannot leave without your pardon. I'm near the tomb. Give me a last embrace. Give peace to a heart that is dying. Because she's experiencing the effects of this poison and she was not in great shape to begin with. Right. And the the onlookers, this, this chorus of Capulets, are ever more sympathetic to her but Capulet never relents. So let's hear Juliette saying, Stop, father, I cannot leave without your pardon. Thank you. 
that is Juliet's impassioned plea to her father. Who hears it not? Yeah. Yeah. I'm dying. Throw a sister a bone here, dad. (laughs) And the chorus is pleading with Capulet to be pitiful, to be... Merciful. To relent with his daughter so that she will survive. And he says, no, I won't. Follow your husband at the break of day. And Lorenzo comes in and kindly leads her off. And Capulet is left. And we're going to listen to a very short piece, this bass solo, where he starts out by saying, I'm feeling turmoil in me. Because, of course, he is, if he's been listening to anything going on around him. But then he talks to himself and he says, pity, be silent. You would make me a coward. So you get just a tiny little piece of a glimpse inside this strong patriarch and how he actively stamps down any impulse he might have to be kind towards his daughter. He turns from that, this is all in this very short piece that we're gonna hear, and he says to his men, one of you, go seek out Tybalt, and another, and this is key, go spy on Lorenzo's goings-on. He is a suspect. He's beginning to think maybe Lawrence, who keeps counseling all this kindness, might not be completely on his side. Yeah. He says, don't let Lawrence go out. Don't let him speak to anyone. Of course, you know what that means. Who's got the whole secret of what Juliet is doing? Who's supposed to let Romeo know where he is to find Juliet? Lorenzo. He's the one, just as in the familiar Shakespeare telling of this story, when Father Lawrence can't communicate with Romeo to say, no, Juliet's death is just simulated. Right. This is, right here is the explanation as to why this is going to go wrong. Ah. Because Lorenzo is going to be prevented from communicating with Romeo, which he's been doing very successfully since before the opera even opened. Right. So let's have a listen to Capulet. Qual turbamento io provo Quale scompiglio in cor Cacio pietade Filta saresti Dite baldo in traccia corra qualcuno E di Lorenzo i passi spiate voi Sospetto mai adesso Né uscir né altrui parlar Gli sia concesso This is opera for everyone, and today's episode is I Capuletti e i Montecchi, The Capulets and the Montagues. We've just heard from Capulet, Juliet's father, talking about his own self-doubt in some way, but he squashes that pretty quickly. And he realizes he needs to have his people keep an eye on Lorenzo, because he may not be fully loyal. Yeah, he might be a traitor. So... We change scenes. This is scene two of the second act, and we are in a deserted spot near the Capulet Palace. In fact, the first thing Romeo says in this scene is this place is deserted. 
and it's dark. It's, it's an interesting one to see staged because it's going to be Romeo and Tybalt, these two rivals, mm-hmm. as leaders of the fighting men and as rivals for the love of Juliet. Mm-hmm. And it's so dark they can't really see each other, but they can hear each other. So they're talking smack to each other. <laughs> okay. But they can't get at each other, which is fascinating. So they're arguing. And then all of a sudden we hear some other music, very different kind of music off stage. And Tybalt shouts, stop. And Romeo says, what mournful sounds echo there. And the chorus will come in with their songs of, alas, poor, unfortunate girl. And this, we realize, is the funeral procession for the presumed dead Juliet. Oh, wow. So very quickly between these two men verbally fighting each other because they can't see each other and find each other, they stop and they're both grieving for Juliet because in his way, even though she was a prize, Tybalt did love and care for Juliet. Mm -hmm. It, It is hurting him that she has died. And the chorus is singing her praises, and Romeo and Tybalt are there uh, trying to come to grips with this idea that Juliet has died. And this song is beautiful. And this will end the second act with the two of them saying, I loved her more, no, I loved her more. And it's, I mean, they're still rivals, but it's it's changed from being these rivals of this military political power conflict to trying to convince the other one, no, I loved Juliet more. She was mine, not yours. Hmm. Even in death, she's an object. Yes. Oh, my God. 
So that was Romeo e Teobaldo, Romeo and Tybalt, arguing about who loved Juliet more, because she's dead. Or at least they think she's dead. Right. And in fact, Romeo says, well, fine, just kill me. Slay a desperate man, because the highest good for me at this moment would be to die. Presumably in the back of his head, he's thinking what he had sung earlier to Juliet, that he would be with her in heaven. Yeah. And Tybalt says, no, I'm not going to kill you because grief is going to kill me. You know, it's just, I'm hurting more. I'm hurting more, the two of them. It's a pity party. (laughs) Well, they're both grieving. And our next scene will be in the tombs of the Capulets, where they have put Juliet. So in the tomb, it's it's not the familiar scene of Romeo being alone. All the rest of the Montagues are there with him. But Romeo is the one who is expressing his sorrow and his concern. O profound darkness of the grave, yield for an instant to the light of day and reveal yourself to me. O Juliet, I found you again. You are not dead. And now he is hallucinating at this point, or imagining, let's say, that she is not dead, only sleeping and waiting for... So it's it's killing you, right? Because he intellectually he understands that she's dead but he's deceiving himself to comfort himself that she's only sleeping and she is alive he says rise my beloved to the sound of my sighs your romeo calls you rise my beloved and and the chorus just says oh poor lad he's delirious let's let's leave him alone in his delirium he's breaking our hearts so that's profound drama right there (laughs) i have a question yeah how is romeo in juliet's tomb with all of his friends if lorenzo didn't sneak him in lorenzo did not sneak them in because he's under watch and he doesn't know what's going on so lorenzo has obviously not communicated with romeo there they are okay they're they're a force they go it's opera it doesn't matter at this point. Okay. We're, we're focused on Romeo's grief. Grief. And he continues to sing, Her cold corpse is deaf to the sound of my voice. Alone, I'm abandoned. 
Alas, you fair soul, you are ascending to heaven. Look down on me and take me with you, he tells the presumably dead Juliet. You cannot forget me. And then he pulls from his pocket a little tiny bottle and he sings, You are my only hope, fatal poison. Receive my last breath, tomb of my enemies, he sings just after he drinks this poison so mm. that he can, in fact, ascend to heaven with his beloved Juliet. Now I'm going to break into the story here just to tell you a little story about the opera itself, which is kind of crazy. So funny things happen to versions of opera as time goes by. We already mentioned the fact that in the 60s, there was a, a short-lived popular version of it where they transposed the the Romeo role sung by a mezzo, written for a mezzo by Bellini, into a tenor piece. Mm -hmm. That's not done anymore. But shortly after this premiered, in the next couple of years, there was a great, great singer who didn't think that the drama was great enough in the lyrical but slightly understated way that Bellini had composed it. She liked the ending better the way that that other composer had written it, the one for whom... Romani had written the libretto on the first round. Mm. Mm -hmm. She liked that Nicola Vacchi 1825 version of Giulietta e Romeo. Romani had written the same libretto, but it was it was different style of music that she felt showed off her vocal virtuosity. Remember, Belcanto was this period of time when the singers were preeminent. They were the stars that people went to see. And so she had the power to say, no, no, what Bellini's done is all very nice, but right at the end, I want something more. And she literally took that section of the opera from this other guy's opera. And for some number of years, it was performed that way. And I want to tell you this recording that we're listening to, the, the set of CDs that I purchased, <laughs> CD number three, is called the Millibrand version, that was her last name, and it is the entire section, like in this one that was produced at the end of the 20th century. It has, CD number three, has the ending from this other guy's opera. Really? Because it is so associated with this opera. Wow. Which I thought was, I, I read about this, and then when I opened up my jewel case to look at the CDs, I said, I was stunned to see that that was part of what I bought when I bought this opera was wow. a different composer's ending for this. So you can compare them. That is, that's unprecedented. Well, it certainly is in my experience. Okay, back to the story. Okay. <laughs> We're in the tomb and Romeo has said, you, my only hope, fatal poison, never far from me, come to my lips. And he says, I'm going to die here in the tomb of my enemies. And you know what happens as soon as he drinks the poison. She wakes up. She wakes up and he imagines that he's hearing her voice. And he says, she calls me. She invites me to her breast. Oh, heaven, what do I see? And what does he see? Juliette. Yes. And she thinks it's all going according to plan. Mm-hmm. She says, oh, yes, my death was feigned. And he shows no recognition of this and she said well, well didn't you see Lorenzo didn't he tell you what was going on and of course he hadn't and he says as much well she says well it's okay it doesn't matter we're here together it's all good <laughs> Romeo says I have something to tell you 
I just drank some poison. Oops. It's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking as it always is in this story. These two lovers are finally together and they, they, Juliet has come to this point where she recognizes the most important thing to her is the love that she feels for Romeo. And that's going to take precedence over her duty to her family. And Romeo says, I'm never going to leave this tomb. I'm going to be here eternally. And I wanted to die beside you. That's why I did this. Juliet says, well, then I will drink the rest of your poison and I will kill myself. And he argues with her and he says, no, don't do it. You must live and come to my grave and visit me and shed your tears at my grave. And Juliet makes a plea to heaven, dear heaven, cut my life short. So she won't be killing herself, but she begs to heaven that heaven kill her. Let me die and let me be with him. How can I return to life if you must die, Romeo? And Romeo says, enough, stop. Comfort me now while I'm dying. And so they comfort each other. And finally, this last piece, she says, Romeo, he is dead. And in that instant, she falls dead as well. Heaven has answered her prayer. Oh, she doesn't kill herself, but she dies. The Montagues come in, Capulet comes in, and all the Capulets are there, and all the Montagues are there, and Lorenzo comes in, because I guess he's with his watchers, and Lorenzo says the obvious, they are both dead, and Capulet is enraged. He didn't order this. He says, well, who killed them? By whom? And everyone on stage turns to him and says, you killed them, you pitiless mm. man. Whoa. And that's the end. Whoa. So there is judgment on this relentless leader of the Capulets. Wow. His unwillingness to negotiate. It's a very different story than I'm used to. It is, but it's based more on the origin of this story. And honestly, it doesn't matter. Shakespeare's fantastic. Gounod is fantastic. And, and this is deeply moving as well. Yeah. And there are all yeah. kinds of versions of this Romeo. I mean... We've also got West Side Story, if you want to yes. move it a little more modern. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a timeless story. So we'll go out on that final set of music in the tomb where Romeo decides to join Juliet in heaven. And ultimately, it's Juliet who must join him. And the judgment of the people is against continuing the violence, the feud, the hard-heartedness.
morti ambidue Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.